0: we bless you and we praise you right now in the mighty strong name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ father we recognize that we can offer to you a praise a sacrifice of praise which is the fruit of our lips that give thanksgiving to you through him and him alone father you say in your word that Jesus Christ is the way the truth and life no man comes to the father but by him and so father we thank you that we have access to you through Jesus Christ but then, O oh God, Lord, you were so gracious and kind that you sent us the spirit of truth, Father God, to indwell us, spirit of promise, Father, that we might have the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. And as the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and indwells the believers of Jesus Christ, then he fills us, Father God, to do the things that are pleasing in your sight. And So, Father, we're so thankful for the Holy Spirit as well that is active and allows us to understand the things spoken of God and the wisdom of God, Lord. So thank you, Holy Spirit, for your grace. Thank you for coming And regenerating us and renewing us, Father, that you might allow us to be members of your family. For the Bible says he who has not the spirit of God has not God at all. And so, Lord, we're thankful for the deposit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so right now, Father, we ask that by the power of your spirit that you would open up our eyes that we might behold wonderful things in your law. Open up our minds that we might understand the scriptures. And then, God, that our hearts would burn within us while we learn the scriptures through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we're so thankful for this place of worship and these saints and your people, God. So Lord, speak and reveal Christ as only you can. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen and thank God. Turn with me in your Bible to John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11. John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11. Uh, At this second service, I do have the privilege of announcing my bride. Uh, uh, Sister Renique Wilson is with me on the front row, good friend of Eric and Yvette, so she was not able to attend the first service, but she is here in the second service, so if you don't mind uh, waving Sister Renique. Uh, waving, amen. Now, let me tell you all something. My wife is a PhD doctor from the University of Houston, and she finished her doctorate degree in 2006 of December, and I was finishing my master's degree in August of 2007. And so I told her, baby, I promise to call you doctor if you'll call me master when I get finished with mine, amen. So uh, I thank God for that, amen. And uh, along with me, Along with me, I have two good friends uh, from our church, uh, two young men in our young adult ministry. Uh, they head up what we call the Life on Life, our, our LOL, Young Adult Ministry. Brother Joe Bolden to my left, your right, and Brother Nathan Alote, uh, great faithful servants of the Lord. Uh, Very faithful in the work that they do, and we're glad that they traveled with us. Another uh, couple also traveled with us, but they're headed back to Houston, Texas. And so on behalf of the Church of God in Houston, Texas, and Crossover Bible Fellowship, we bring you greetings. Amen? Amen. Uh, Turn with me in John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11, and while your hand is parked there, I want to mention to you that the Gospel of John... In John chapter twenty, verse thirty and one, thirty and thirty one John, the author of this gospel, the Apostle John, says uh, that these things, uh, many signs and wonders that Jesus performed uh, in the presence of his disciples, but these in particular have been recorded. That those who see them and know them might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing that you might have life in His name. And so, as you travel through the Gospel of John, any chapter you ought to be looking that how does the text, the narrative, reveal Christ? How does it reveal Jesus Christ and His identity? So, when you travel through, you're ultimately looking for the identity of Christ. That's John chapter twenty, verse thirty and thirty-one. But John chapter one, verse says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God then when you skip down to John chapter 1 verse 14 it says and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us and we beheld his glory glory of the only begotten of the father full of grace and full of truth and so Jesus Christ the lamb of God who's come to take away the sinners of the world John chapter 1 verse 29 he is the one that we are trying to see that we might believe in him and have life in his name whenever we come to the biblical text in the gospel of John. And so if you don't mind, I'm going to read John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11, and it says in John chapter 8, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came into the temple, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women, what then do you say? And they were saying this, underlined this, testing him so that they might have ground, circle this for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger and wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who was without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Verse 8 says, again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone in the woman where he was, uh, was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on. Sin no more. Amen. As we approach John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11, I want to provide for you by way of outline just what we're going to be traveling through in the text today. Uh, I want you to think about this. What does Jesus do when you deserve a guilty verdict? What, what does Jesus do when you deserve a guilty verdict the law says in Exodus chapter 20 verse 14 thou shalt not commit adultery and here is a woman and minus the man caught in the very act of adultery and the law would say that she deserves a guilty verdict Leviticus chapter 20 verse 10 would say stone both he and her and kill them Deuteronomy 22 22 would say stone them and kill them as he repeats the law the second time to the second generation and so here it is this woman deserves a guilty verdict and I believe that if I'm in good territory you and I believe that we deserve a guilty verdict as well that there's somebody else in here besides me that if you really think about it, you deserved a guilty verdict. And and the law would say that you deserved a guilty verdict. But I like the Bible because it says that the law came through Moses and John talked about it, but grace and truth was realized through Jesus Christ. Some of the freaky things that you and I have done, had we been living in the law age, we'd already be out of here. But the only reason why some of us are in here today is because God in his grace Grace chose us to live in this time period where Jesus Christ is manifest and grace and truth can come in and forgive our sin. Amen. And so somebody ought to be excited about that. So John chapter eight, verse one through two, we're going to show you Jesus's instruction in John eight, one through two, Jesus's instruction. But then you're going to see the scribes and the Pharisees, the leaders of the land, their accusations against the woman and also against the Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. But then you're going to see Jesus's Jesus Jesus' position, the position he holds up and lifts up biblically and theologically, but the position that he takes physically as he manifests his deity and shows us who he is. The next thing you'll see in John 8 verse 9 is the leader's humiliation. You'll see them be humiliated when they came originally to bring accusations against him. You'll see Jesus' declaration. What is Jesus going to declare when this woman deserves a guilty verdict? And then you'll finally see the woman's justification. So if you know that word justification, you know we're already headed in a good direction. Amen? But when you come to John chapter 8, you just can't start at chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, because John chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 set up the text in 1 through 11, but it's actually John chapter 7 that serves for the historical background of John chapter 8, and so turn with me to John 7, verse 2, John 7, verse 2. Now the Feast of the Jews, the Feast of Booths, was near. The Feast of Booths was near. And so here it is, my brothers and sisters. The Bible teaches us that this was one of the three... Uh, Jewish celebrations that the Jewish male would lead his family to every year. The feast of booze was a reminder of the Jews of their wanderings in the land uh, as they were proceeding to the promised land. Their wandering in the wilderness, how they just circled and circled. And while yet wandering in the wilderness, they set up tents, temporary tents, because the temporary tents that they set up was representative that that was not their final resting place for they were going to be going to a land of promise their promised land but here they are in temporary tents i believe the bible says in second corinthians chapter 5 you and i have a temporary tent and we're going to get rid of that temporary tent one day and go on to our permanent home amen and so here it is they're reminded of these temporary tents where they wandered in the wilderness. But not only did they have a temporary tent at that time for their very own lives, there was also a temporary tent, a tabernacle in which the Lord would go among them. And and the temporary tabernacle was set up as well, the temporary tabernacle that would represent the manifest presence of God. And as a result, the, the Shekinah glory of God would rest down on them. And this was a reminder of them. And so here they are in this celebration time, and here comes the Lord Jesus on the scene. And the Bible says in John chapter 7, verse 53, everyone went to his own home. And while everybody else went home towards the end of the service and towards the end of the feast, the Lord Jesus Christ goes up to the Mount of Olives, more than likely going up there to pray. And and so when Jesus goes up there to have intimacy with God, these people are going home. Now, notice this in the text. It says, Early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. Now, here's the thing that I need you to see, is that Jesus Christ... His instruction once again became the main attraction to those who were interested in his message and his ministry. Jesus Christ, this itinerant preacher, would go around and preach the word of God. And people were amazed at his teaching. Matter of fact, when he gets finished with the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, it said that the people recognized that he was teaching not as the scribes and the Pharisees, but as one having authority. In other words, Jesus Christ's teaching was different from everybody else. When Jesus Christ broke the bread of life, folks began to sit up and listen. Why? Because he wasn't talking and quoting folk and quoting people and the teachers of Halil. He wasn't doing that. He would say things like this, but you have heard that it was said, but I say unto you. And Jesus Christ was letting you know, when I speak, you better listen up. And that's why when you travel yourselves into Luke chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it's going to say, and many thousands of people were standing and stepping on one another to to hear him teach. Boy, that's got to be some attractive teaching when somebody can step on your kicks and you'll still be listening to the teachings of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They were excited about hearing Jesus. There's something about his teaching and ministry that lights up the room. So by the time you come to Luke 15, verse 1 and 2, the Bible says, and the sinners and tax collectors were gathering all around that they might listen to him and hear him, but the Pharisees grumbled and complained. Ooh, don't you like the fact that sinners and tax collectors are coming to hear the gracious words that are falling off the mouth of Jesus? And the text says, yet the Pharisees grumbled and complained. Hmm. So here it is, Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 21, verse 37 through 38, the Bible says that he enters into the temple, sits down, and begins to teach the people. Part of his ministry was his teaching ministry, his verbal ministry, where he instructed and shared the mysteries of God to the people that were out there to listen, that would draw them by the word of God. And so Jesus Christ's teaching ministry drew people, but not just his teaching ministry, you know his healing ministry drew some folk too. How do you know? that because Peter's mama was sick one day and Jesus Christ goes into the house, heals her while eating some chicken, and then after eating the chicken, the other folk come to the room and they say, we want to be healed too. So all throughout the Bible, you see people being healed. But the amazing thing that even if you were to go back into the Old Testament Scripture, Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5 and 6, flip there if you don't mind in your Bible real quick. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5 and 6. In Isaiah chapter 35, Hmm. Let me start at verse 3. Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with an anxious heart, take courage and fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy for waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the rabbi. Now watch that. In other words, Isaiah chapter 35, verse 4 through 6 show you that when God comes on the scene and you see the lame man leap for joy in Mark chapter 2, verse 1 and one through 12, when you get to Mark 10, 46 through 52 and you see Bartimaeus get sight, when you see in Luke chapter 13 and Matthew chapter 13, Matthew 12, ears open and mute speaking, you ought to know that God is at hand. In other words, the Isaiah 35 lets you know that when these type of miracles in ministry are taking place, somebody different is on hand. So here it is that Jesus Christ, the God-man, uh, here he is, the hypostatic union all wrapped up, 100% deity and 100% humanity at one time is on the scene and folk are attracted to this message and this ministry. And so the text says in John chapter 8 verse 2, early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. Now here it is, everybody's listening to Jesus, everybody's coming to Jesus, and we got to introduce somebody else in the text. It seemed like everything's going well, and then there's always a fool that comes around when things are going well. And the text says in verse 3, the scribes and Pharisees. Hmm. brought a woman caught in adultery, having set her in the center of the court. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? And they were saying this, testing him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger and wrote on the ground. Now here's the interesting thing that we've got to deal with, is that the leaders have some accusations against Jesus. The leaders are bringing accusation against Jesus. Now, here's the key word is that, that they were testing him in order to accuse him. The Bible teaches us in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, written by John the Revelator, who is also John the Gospel writer and John the Epistle writer. It says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren, Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. But if you were to track back into the Old Testament and find yourself in Zechariah 3, 1 through 7 you would also find out that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. He's been accusing God's folk for a long time, and he doesn't stop at accusing Jesus. And so it's not only the Pharisees and the scribes that are on the scene, but what is behind the Pharisees and the scribes. And what is behind them if accusation is in their mouth, they are slanderers, then the devil must be behind them. Uh Uh-huh. Anytime you bring slander, uh, the word diabolos in Greek, it means a tongue motivated by the devil. A tongue motivated by the devil. So here they come, accusers. So what is behind the scribes and the Pharisees is the accusation. So here's the deal. Their goal is to ruin Jesus' reputation and bring condemnation on this little itinerant teacher. Their intentions were not seeking the glorification of God nor justice from the law. Why? Because here's the deal. If they wanted justice from the law, where's the man? So they don't bring the man, so they're not concerned about that. So please understand that the woman is not the main issue. She's just a a tool being used in the midst of the story. Their main goal is to accuse Jesus and make him look bad. The, The woman, she's just a side issue. So here's the deal. Jesus has a reputation for being friends with sinners and tax collectors. Matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 21, verse 31 and 32, Jesus tells them that the prostitutes and the ta- and the tax gatherers are going to get into the kingdom of heaven before you Now, understand, here are the religious leaders, the so-called educated and wise teachers of the people, and Jesus Christ tells the Jewish leaders, look, the prostitutes and the tax gatherers who you hate. Why do you hate the tax gatherers? Because the tax gatherers are collecting taxes from you in authority of the Roman government, and they're charging you excessively. They're taking a cut for themselves, so you hate them. But you really don't hate the prostitutes, otherwise they wouldn't be there. You like the prostitutes at night. You just don't want to be associated with them during the day. So Jesus tells them, here are two foul, low base folk, and they're going to find themselves in the kingdom of heaven before you religious teachers do. Why? Because Jesus Christ didn't come to save the righteous, Matthew chapter 9, but to bring sinners to repentance. That's why Jesus Christ came. So his reputation of being a friend to sinners and tax collectors is online. But one more thing if Jesus authorizes her stoning, he breaks Roman law by encouraging capital punishment in their jurisdiction. Turn with me to John chapter 18, verse 31. And John chapter, this is the, 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 the dilemma they're trying to put Jesus Christ in. Even when they have a case against Christ and they're trying to crucify him and they're bringing his case up, John 18 verse 31, our good friend Pilate, you'll see Pilate in the text. And watch what Pilate is going to do. He says, so Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. (laughs) Did you catch that? When when it comes to killing Jesus, we want to do that legally. When it comes to killing this woman, and we want you to authorize the killing of the woman, we want you to do that illegally. See, the same folks that said, oh, oh, we're not permitted to kill, so y'all authorize it. They were trying to get Jesus to authorize the killing of this woman, and then he would have been in bad position with the Roman government. So it looks like they got Jesus caught. Why? Because you know Jesus has to abide by the scriptures. And so in Deuteronomy, here it is, it says, if Jesus says, don't stone her, he breaks the law of Moses. Because Leviticus 20, verse 10, and Deuteronomy 22, 22, say that if she has committed the act of adultery, she is to be stoned. He already said in the law, Exodus 20, verse 14, don't stone her. Let me ask you this question. Are there somebody glad in the room that there are some rocks upside your head? Aren't you glad you're not living under the law, but you're living under grace? You know, when I was growing up, they had a little dude by the name of Elmer Fudd on the cartoons. And Elmer would get hit with rocks and there'd be little BBs that come all off of his head. And I think that some of us would have some little BBs coming all off of our head if we were still living under the law. Somebody ought to be glad that grace and truth are on the scene. And so here's Jesus caught up in the leader's accusations, but here we go. Watch this. Who are these guys, the scribes and the Pharisees? Now, here's a big thing that you need to know. The scribes were the rewriters of the law. Write that down if you don't mind. They rewrote the law. You got to keep that in your mind. Now, to preserve the copies and they were teachers of it. In other words, I call the scribes the first Xerox copying machines. They used to make sure that there were copies left and or maintained. You go down to Kinkos and get stuff from them, you know. This is who the scribes were. They rewrote the law But they weren't the authors or the writers of the law. But even the Bible says in Ezra chapter 7 verse 10 that Ezra the scribe, he was one who studied the law with all of his heart, practiced it and taught it to others. So how have the scribes descended to this point? Now watch this. The Pharisees served as interpreters and enforcers of the law. They were the ones that Jesus says have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Here it is that they have positioned themselves over everybody. And so these are these characters that enter into the scene in John chapter eight, verse one through 11. What is the problem that the scribes and the Pharisees have with Jesus? Well, you can find the problem in John chapter 12 after he uh, uh, heals Lazarus in John chapter 11. When he heals Lazarus in John chapter 11, it says so many people were believing in Jesus, not only because of Jesus, but also Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead, that the scribes and the Pharisees got upset. They said, look, the whole world's going after him. In other words, they were losing some members. When Jesus came on the scene, they wanted to relocate churches because the gospel became so fresh and the legalism of the law began to fall off. And when they heard the gracious teachings of Jesus, they said, let's, re, uh, let's get some new membership. And they moved over. And so these people are mad because they're losing their popularity. So let's go on and catch old Jesus. But you can't catch Jesus. Why? Because you don't really know who he is. Jesus, the teacher, is the one they were questioning about the law. They failed to realize the one they questioned was the lawgiver. Check out the biblical text right here in the record in verse 4. Look at verse 4. Are y'all in verse 4? They said to him, teacher. Huh, stop right there. Teacher. There are a variety of religions out there that recognize Jesus as teacher. But they don't recognize him as son of God and or God. So if you call him teacher and not son of God or God, you stop too short of the revelation of who Christ really is. Amen. So now flip back with me to John chapter three, because the text says that scribes and Pharisees, plural, have come. But there was an individual in John chapter three, our friend Nicodemus, who also talks to Jesus Christ. And notice what old Nicodemus says uh, in John chapter three, verse one. Look at the text. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Jesus is later going to say, are you the teacher of Israel and don't know what I'm talking about? But watch this verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, what? We know that you have come from God as a what? For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, what does Jesus immediately begin to talk to uh, Nicodemus about? Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What is the problem between Jesus and Nicodemus? Nicodemus starts at step two and missed step one. He calls Jesus rabbi and teacher, but you can't call Jesus rabbi and teacher until he's become your savior. Go back with me to John chapter 1, verse 29, if you don't mind. John chapter 1, verse 29. There's a man who came from God. His name was John, and John was not the light, but he was the one that would bear witness of the light. Now, check out John 1, verse 29. The next day, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, skip down to verse 35. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus, and as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Are y'all in verse 38? Watch verse 38. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, where are you staying? No, they say, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Notice that they already believed he was the Lamb of God first, and secondarily, they now call him teacher. That's the problem. See, if you don't accept him as Christ, God comes in secondarily and renews your mind, but you have to experience salvation before you can get to sanctification. And so the rabbi, the teacher, he comes in and renews your mind and grows you up in sanctification, but the Lamb of God is the one that you meet at the cross. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden. Y'all don't know nothing about that. And so all I'm trying to say is at the cross, you can't call him teacher. There's a problem when you call him teacher, and yet to have accepted him as lamb. And so go back to John chapter 8. It lets you know that these fools, the scribes and Pharisees, are fools because the fools don't recognize who God is. How do you know that? Psalm 14, verse 1 through 3. Psalm 53, verse 1 through 3. Now go back to John chapter 8 if you don't mind. Now notice the text. Verse 4. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now they go and question him about the law. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? And they were saying to this, testing him so they might have grounds for accusing him. And then the text says something interesting. But Jesus stooped down with his finger and wrote on the ground. Now oh, the Bible doesn't talk about Jesus stooping much, but the text says all of a sudden he stooped down to the ground and he begins to write with his finger. And as Jesus stoops down to the ground, they'll be like, well, Jesus, they asked you a question, so why don't you answer the question? <laughs> and Jesus says, well, I am answering the question, but I, I got to give them an Old Testament history lesson yeah. if I'm going to do it. So he stoops down to the ground and he writes with his finger because they're questioning Jesus about the law. Mm -hmm. So let's look at this real quick. (laughs) Jesus' position. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground, I like the Holy Spirit. You know why I like him? Because the Holy Spirit writes stuff with intensified detail, and if we would study a little bit, he might show it to us. Watch this. Go with me to Exodus chapter 19, verse 10 and 11. Exodus chapter 19, verse 10 through 11. Flip with me there, if you don't mind, going back to the Old Testament a little bit. In Exodus 19, verse 10 through 11, watch this. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will what? Come down. On Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. In other words, the Lord would have to come down. God was bending himself down from heaven to come on Mount Sinai to begin to reveal the law and get ready to pour out the law in Exodus chapter 20. And so Jesus Christ says, y'all need to see who I am. So the Bible says, and he stooped down. Why? Because he's showing them what I did in the Old Testament I'm still doing in the New Testament. And you got to know who it was that was talking to Moses. Because you said in the law, Moses said, Moses didn't say nothing. He just repeated what the Lord told him to say. Exodus chapter 19, verse 18 and 20. (laughs) Exodus chapter 19, verse 18 and 20. Look at the text. Now Mount Sinai was in all smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. The Lord came down, kept to bow down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. What happens in Exodus chapter 20? The Lord descends on Mount Sinai. In Exodus 20, he begins to give him the law. So when you see the fact that the Lord stooped down and wrote with his finger, it might be getting ready to reveal to the Pharisees and to the scribes, and hopefully to you and I who he is. He's not just a teacher. So watch the leaders get humiliated. Go to John 8. Go to John 8. In John chapter 8, verse 7, when they persisted in asking him, oh, no, we're going. No, we, you can't be stupid on the ground. We need more than that. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Verse 9, when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones and he was left alone and the woman where she was in the center of the court uh, this is interesting see Jesus knew from the Old Testament that you can't stone somebody for a particular sin if you've done the same one see if you've been a freak back in the day why, why, why? you can't stone me for being a freak today ah! And so here it was under the law, you can't be all choosy with your freaky stoning, who you're going to be stoning. And so if you've done this freaky stuff and you're still here today, you can't stone nobody else for doing these type of things. And so all of a sudden the Bible says, and uh, one by one they began to walk away, beginning with the older ones. In In other words, the older folk had been freaks before the young folk had been freaks. Don't think that big mama and your grandma and them wasn't freaks before they... I know you like your mom and dad, but mom and dad were freaks before they got you. Now they tell you, do this and now. So here it is. They began to walk off one by one, the Bible says. Now, I know that y'all are a new church, and y'all love the Lord, and y'all get in the Scriptures, but here's an amazing thing that you must know. See, because y'all on the East Coast, y'all not down in the South, amen? Now, I'm down from the South, okay? And, so, and in the South, you have uh, the Black Baptist Church, amen? Now, in the Black Baptist Church, when black folk get up to leave, see, like these two brothers, they walked out, they ain't been from the Black Baptist Church, amen? <laughs> they, they ain't from the Black Baptist Church, because cause had these brothers... Ha, 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 had they been from the Black Baptist Church? Here's what the Black Baptist Church does. When you, when you got to be excused, you put that finger up and, and you put that head down and you walk out like that. That's what you, that's what you do in the Black Baptist Church. I know y'all are new school. I, 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 I know y'all are new school. See, if your grandmother would throw a shoe at you from the choir stand, if you, boy, you didn't put your hand up and put your head down. So one by one, The Bible says that all of them walked away. Why? Because every single one of them who came to accuse Jesus and to accuse this woman were rightfully accused themselves. And so by the mere fact that they walked away, it lets you know that we have no right to stone this woman. Because watch this now. We didn't have good intentions in the first place because now we would be engaging in murder. We'd be murdering this woman. Why? Because we've done the same thing. We have no righteous judgment or condemnation on her because we've done the very same things. And so Jesus alone is left one-on-one with this woman. That's where you want to be in life one-on-one with Jesus with all your mess and all your stuff you want to come to a one-on-one encounter with Jesus Christ to where you can say Christ with tears running down your eyes I'm wretched I'm wicked I'm sinful I'm nasty and he can say father forgive them for they know not what they do you want to come to the place to where it's not all the crowds that you're worried about. You want to go one-on-one with Jesus. You don't want to play a two-three zone, a box one You want to go one-on-one. Y'all don't know basketball. Okay, uh, uh, you want to go one-on-one with him. And here's the woman going one-on-one with Jesus. She starts her day off as a freak and being caught in freakdom. And here she is getting ready to get a lesson in soteriology. She's getting ready to move from freakology to soteriology. So here it is that she's one-on-one with Jesus. She starts out sleeping with a man. But if she would have talked to the woman in John 4, come see a man. I got a whole bunch of other folk I've been with, but now come. She's now one-on-one with that man, one-on-one with Jesus. And that's where she wants to be. And so let's deal with the text just a little bit more. I like this. Look at the text in verse 8. So after they walk off, it says, again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, that ought to make you pay attention because the text says he stoops down again. And when he stoops down again, I said, well, Lord, why do you stoop down again? Well, let's get some Old Testament history lesson. Amen. Go back to Exodus chapter 31, verse 18. In Exodus chapter 31, Verse 18. Look at what the text says. When he had finished speaking with Moses. On Mount Sinai. He gave Moses. The two tablets of stone. Of the testimony. Tablets of stone. Written by the what? So when you saw Jesus Christ. And the text says he wrote on his finger, he's revealing to you that God wrote that stuff, homeboy. So when you come to me and call me teacher, you must not know who you're dealing with. You must not know that you're in the presence of God. Don't reduce me to teacher when you haven't recognized me as the most high God. So that's why the text says his little finger wrote down on the ground. But that's not all. Flip with me to Exodus chapter 34, verse 1 through 5. It's not about what he wrote, it's about who wrote. Exodus 34, verse 1 through 5. Look at the text now. Now the Lord said to Moses, cut out for yourself two tablets of stone like the former ones. Mm -hmm. There were some ones that were right before. I I, I gave those to you earlier in chapter 31. But now I need you to cut out from stone as there were the former ones. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets. In other words, the laws haven't changed, which you shattered. So, uh, 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 so be ready by morning and come up, and, uh, uh, come up uh, in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. I'll uh, check out the text. No man is to come up with you, nor let any man be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and the herds may not graze in front of the uh, uh, in front of that mountain. So he cut out two stone tablets like the former ones. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai. Watch this. As the Lord had commanded, and he took the two stone tablets in his hand and shake out verse five. And the Lord what? Descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. The Lord had to come down twice to write the law. So why in the text do you believe that the text says, and Jesus stooped down twice? Because he's given the Pharisees, the so-called knowers of the law, a law history lesson. Because you need to know who the revealer of the law was. And since God wrote the law, and it looks like I might be him, although you're missing it, I'm trying to teach you something. Why? Because in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. But the problem is, is that when he writes the second time in Exodus 34, 1 through 5, why did he have to write a second time? Well, Exodus 32. What happened in Exodus chapter 32? Well, you know, Moses went up on the mountain to get the revelation, get the law from God, and the folk got a little tired. And when the folk got there, they said, oh, come on, Aaron, what's happening, man? What's what's going on? Well, y'all y'all don't get mad at me. Y'all throw me y'all's earrings and y'all's necklaces and I'll fashion into a calf, uh, a a golden calf for you. And then the Bible says they drank, sat down, and they rose up to play. What in the world does that mean? They engaged in a wild, freaky, immoral orgy, so-called worshiping God. They were engaged in sexual immorality at the highest level. Here they were, all of the folk down there, Freaking and acting a fool. And Aaron is into pornography. He's just watching. (laughs) (laughs) And so here they are. And everybody's down there. Freaking. Go read your Bible. Exodus 32. And they're down there having a freak party. And the Lord says, Moses, move out of the way. I'm going down to strike them and to kill them and destroy them. And Moses says, no, 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 Lord. Don't do that. Because if you do that. The people will think that you got them out here and you couldn't lead them all the way through. So what does Moses do when folk were caught freaking? Moses intercedes on behalf of the freaks. And here you are, the Pharisees, thinking that you're the teachers of the law of Moses, and yet you don't even carry the same spirit that Moses carried. You're trying to kill while Moses was interceding. Go back to John 8 if you don't mind. Y'all, this is why I believe in Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I believe in him. Verse 8, again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone, and the woman where she was in the center of the court, straightening up, Jesus said to her, where are they? Did no one condemn you? Where are they? Was there no one left to condemn you? See, I think the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so there wasn't anybody left to condemn. It's just you and I one-on-one. And then Jesus is going to move in a special way and says, Neither, put your finger up, amen? <laughs> Neither, ni- she got it down now, amen? <laughs> Neither, y'all going to be Baptist in a minute and black. Uh, Neither do I condemn you. Now, why does Jesus say, neither do I condemn you? Why does he say that? Because John chapter 1 verse 17 says that the law came through Moses. But now that Jesus is on the scene, grace and truth came through Jesus. In John 3.16 that you're familiar with, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's the next verses why he says, "Uh, neither do I condemn you. It's verse 17 where it says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. In other words, Jesus Christ said, I'm just fulfilling my mission. Every time you put a sinner in front of me, I can't condemn him. I got to justify him. Why? I am going to come back and wreck shop in the book of Revelation. But right now, it's not that time. Somebody ought to be glad it ain't the time that he's wrecking shop. Because the Bible tells us he was the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. But every time you read the book of Revelation and you see in the book of Revelation during tribulation, Jesus bring heat in folks' lives. It never calls him the Lion of Judah. It always calls him the Lamb. The same one you beat and bruised and whipped and the wrath was poured out of him on the first time. The second time when he does come to judge, he's coming to remind you, it's me, it's me, oh Lord. <laughs> all again, here I am coming all over again. And so here it is in the text that Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. You deserve a guilty verdict. I know I deserve a guilty verdict. I shouldn't be preaching right now, but the blood of Jesus. (laughs) Somebody came through and told me about the blood of Jesus and told me all about that. And, and, And they told me, as we talked to the men yesterday, it reaches to the highest mountain and, 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 and then it flows to the low. somebody told me about that, and they told me that he died y'all like this propitiation and satisfy the wrath of God, but if I just get you know country with it, he died for me And watch this watch this John chapter eight And the text says, straightening up, Jesus said to her Verse 10. Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? Verse 11, she said no one, Lord. (laughs) She doesn't call him teacher. She calls him Lord. It's easy when the text says, man, that the prostitutes and the tax gatherers are going to make it in before you so-called righteous brothers. Why? Because they recognize their poverty before a mighty God. See, the prostitutes have a history for getting to heaven. Just go back to your Old Testament and look in Joshua chapter 1 and 2. Rahab, the prostitute, got her family saved. Now, it's easy to hear the word of God through Tony Evans or Chuck Swindoll. It's not as easy to hear it through the prostitute. She went back. She got saved before her family members got saved. Now, y'all, y'all, y'all don't got the picture of Rahab yet. Y'all, y'all, y'all must not have the picture. But see, think about this. Your sister is the town prostitute. That's where your business partners go for lunch and they freak with your sister. She's messed up families all over, all over Canaan. And then yet two gentlemen come from the Lord. And when these two gentlemen come from the Lord, she recognizes them. Well, the question is, is why does Rahab recognize these two men? Well, let's go back over to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9 tells us that God raised Pharaoh up to the very highest point he could be, so that God could bring him down so that his name might be known throughout all the earth. And so by the time this great God threw the, uh, uh, has brought his people through the Red Sea and done all these great miracles, and the Egyptians saw uh, Pharaoh and his people dead on the seashore, all of a sudden news went all over CNN and Fox News, and it happened to even get, probably from one of the gentlemen that was sleeping with Rahab, uh, uh, some news to her about this great God. And Rahab gets saved, and then she says, what about my family? Uh, Now, you know you'd be embarrassed if your sister was that one. And that one went and told her family, and guess what the text says? Her family got saved. Why? Because the worst of us share the gospel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those who have been wretched in the past, we share the good news. Why? Because we know we've been forgiven. The worst of us, don't you ever get too many classes and degrees in you to where you don't forget that you were wretched. The worst of us share the gospel. See, in legal court, they throw out uncredible witnesses. Am I right about it? If If the witness is incredible, they throw them out. But you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. even today. Now, Peter, you just denied him. How in the world can you be a witness? Why? Because it's not about the witness, sir. It's about the one we're witnessing about. And so here it is. Let me finish the text. John chapter 8, verse 11. She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I don't condemn you either. Go from now on. Sin no more. Why does Jesus say this? Man, if you went back to Exodus 34, 5 through 7, even when the Pharisees left, he's still teaching from the Old Testament. Because he says, I am God, and I have the right to forgive who I want to. That's what he says now. Boy, see, if y'all were Baptist and from the South, and charismatic, and cogic, Y'all would be tearing the building up right now. (laughs) Why? Because he has the right to forgive who he wants to. I don't condemn you. Go and watch this. But now that I've saved you, get some sanctification sin no more. Because the gospel says, go and make, I mean, the the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and of the Holy Ghost. And watch this, and teaching them to observe all that I command you. In other words, the gospel is both salvific and sanctification. Why? Because you get saved first and now you can live sanctified. So he tells her, now that I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. Bless the almighty God of heaven, because when I deserved a guilty verdict, he said, Blake, I'm going to declare you righteous. You know it is justification. In other words, God tells through Jesus, Jesus tells God that Blake is justified because the just died for the unjust, the just for the unjust. Jesus comes in and Jesus lets us know he who knew no sin became sin on my behalf that I might be called the righteousness of God in other words he calls me what I'm not <laughs> and so I stand in his righteousness all other ground is sinking sand Yeah, let's pray Father God, I bless you and I praise you right now. Where sin abound, grace abound all the more. Father God, I remember when my wife and I were walking in Maui, Hawaii. And Lord, we were walking on the seashore and the water kept coming up over our feet. And we would walk a little bit to the right. And the water would keep coming up over our feet. The seashore just kept coming up, the tide kept rolling up. we walked a little more to the right, and it kept rolling up. Father God, and was regardless of where we walked, it kept getting over. And then we walked way, 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 way over, and it no longer got on our feet, because the seashore and the waters were limited. But the waters that run from the fount of Jesus Christ, where sin abounds, it keeps overtaking all sin, and the blood still applies. And so, God, I thank you for those that might hear the truth of the gospel in Jesus Christ and realize he's far more than a teacher. He is God and the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And that by believing that he is the Christ, the Son of God, we might have life in his name. Amen and thank God.